welcome to the ARC Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Sabados. In today's episode, which is episode number 11, Joy and I have a conversation with author Kristen Welch. Kristen is the author of the book Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World, which is an excellent uh, topic for parents. We were really excited to get a chance to talk to Kristen. She's obviously very passionate about this topic, and she had some great insight. So here's our conversation with Kristen, and you can learn more about her book at RaisingGratefulKids.com, or you can check out her blog, WeAreThatFamily.com. Great. So if you wouldn't mind, if you could just share a little bit about who you are, your family, and then um, your book, just the reason for why you wrote it. Okay. Well, my name is Kristen Welch, and I am a, a mom and a wife, uh, first and foremost, and I started blogging um, eight years ago, which is, I think that makes me a very old <laughs> blogger. <laughs> Blog years are kind of like dog years. They multiply very quickly, and so I've um, been blogging for a long time, and blogging and has opened up a lot of doors and really changed my life in a lot of different ways. Um, and one of those is just really having a place to process life and inspiration and um, faith and parenting. And so um, I started really writing about my struggles, I think, mostly as a mom and and just some of the issues that I saw in our culture and how as a Christian parent, we were trying to combat those and really live upstream. And and so uh, really that series of blog posts, um, they really struck a chord with my audience and then they started spreading uh, well beyond my audience. And so I realized that there was really a void in that, in the, the world of, um, I think, Christian parenting where there wasn't a lot of just truth being talked about in regards to parenting our kids against the flow and really against cultural norms and and so that's really why why I wrote the book Mm, thank you there is a passage that you quote towards the middle um in part four of the book um from David Platt talking about being counterculture cultural and in a world where everything revolves around yourself Jesus says crucify yourself so how did that idea of putting aside all self-preservation in order to live for God's glorification play into what you wrote about? Well, you know, I really, um, I really wrote from maybe a place that, um, isn't as common. You know, I wanted to be sure that the book wasn't written from an expert opinion and really even the authority of a physician or um, a professional. And so um, I think I was discouraged that most of the books that I would go to or that were recommended were from that field of people. And there's, you know, of course, there's a place for that. And we can find a lot of instruction and encouragement. But I really just wanted to find someone in the trenches. And and so um, when I wrote this book, I really wanted it to be another mom coming alongside a mom who's struggling. And so, you know, I try to write from that vulnerable place. And I really um, found that in my parenting journey, um, 
back to the David Platt quote, you know, we're called in Second Peter to, as believers, to live as aliens in this world and to be different. And so it's, I think it's a natural progression of sanctification when we, um, we live differently. And so we parent differently. And I think what I found that was surprising, which it's maybe it's going to sound very simple, but when I started parenting my kids with that in mind, it made them different. And so I created this struggle for them in a lot of ways um, because we were parenting them different. It caused them to be different. And then that brought a different set of struggles and hardships, but also a lot of victories and a lot of strength because we were truly trying to live out Second Peter and, and be different than the world. Um, so yeah, I think that when we do, when we do that, um, we really draw our strength from God and, and, um, people really notice because everywhere, um, I know for my kids when they're in public school and, and teachers and different people, they notice, wow, these kids are different. They're not perfect, mm -hmm. but there's something unique about them. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of a newer parent. I have a two-year-old, and uh, this is a topic that the, my wife and I think about a lot. Um, we're we're not quite. Uh, he's not quite old enough for us to get into this, so I, it's something I kind of worry about. But what do you think it is about kids in American culture that have made them become more entitled, or at least perceived that way? Yeah, I think um, it, that's such a it's a great question and it's so multifaceted. And again, you know, I, I don't have five reasons why, and I don't have had five reasons to fix it. But in, in my life, I've really seen that, um, I entitled my kids. And as I began to really dig into this subject and just be very honest with myself and what I was seeing, I found that I entitled them, that I, you know, kids are selfish by, selfish by nature, and we're training and, and raising these little humans who need our instruction and our guidance. But when I really began to pull back the layers, there were I found reasons that I was giving into my kids. And, um, and some of those, you know, are things that we can actually get rid of in our, in our homes. And I go into this in the book, but I think a lot of times we entitle our kids out of guilt. Um, we feel bad maybe because we've, we've made decisions or, um, we've made choices that have affected them or because they feel left out or because we want to give them more. You know, I remember when, when I had my first child, uh, my husband and I had struggled with infertility for almost five years. And so when I finally had this baby, I was so ready to be a mom. And I remember holding her in my bedroom. She was two days old thinking, I want to give her everything. I want, I don't want her to struggle. I don't want her to suffer. I want to give her everything. And I think that's a very normal, loving, um, sincere desire. But I think in doing that, we end up filling their lives in our home with things that, um, we think are going to make them happy, but really, you know, I think we all know as believers that joy and contentment comes from a much different source. And, and so, Guilt is one of the reasons I think we overspend in our culture. It's just a, you know, 
a problem in our society. And so I think we're, we don't want to tell our kids we can't afford that or it's not in our budget or, you know, we'll have to save for it. Um, I think there's this phenomenon of a birthday party goodie bag mentality. You know, if you take your two-year-old to a birthday party, um, odds are he'll get a goodie bag just for coming. And there's nothing wrong with a goodie bag. I mean, we've all done that, and it's been a fun treat for our kids. But it's that mentality that basically is teaching our kids, you know, we're going to reward you for showing up, that um, everyone is special. And um, I think that mentality has just really filled our homes with we reward our kids for participating and and we want everyone to be a winner and we don't want anyone to feel left out. And, and again, the intention isn't wrong, but when it becomes our, our focal point, it really affects our kids. Um, there's several other reasons, you know, we want to make our kids happy all the time and we don't want them to be unhappy. I did this poll on my blog when I was really considering writing this book and I had 5,000 moms respond in 24 hours. And the number one uh, response of to the question, what do you want most for your kids? It was, I want them to be happy. And it was really alarming to me that, um, you know, it wasn't following Jesus or thinking of others. It was happiness and happiness is fleeting. And I know if you visit my house on any given day, you're going to find someone who's unhappy mm-hmm. because, you know, we can't constantly center our home around our kids. Um, we can have happy children now and very unhappy adults, um, in the future that we're sending out into the world, or we can have some unhappy kids now and, and maybe some more grounded adults in the, in the future. Um, back to your question. I think that one of the really pivotal moments for me, and, you know, even at two or three, four years old, we already see this, um, influence of entitlement. I was, um, I share the story in the book and it's really, it sums up, I think where our culture is at. Um, we have a nonprofit that my husband and I run and, um, we have a lot of volunteers in our lives who come and help us. And, um, I had a friend who was helping me one day and it was just she and I, um, talking in our building and, and, um, I was telling her about my daughter who is a teenager now. Um, but at the time she was in middle school and she was just getting into this phase where she wanted to borrow my clothes all the time. And my friend was like, Oh, I've heard that's the highest compliment when your teenage daughter wants to borrow your clothes. (laughs) And I said, Oh, okay, well that's some perspective. I need to look at it like that. Um, but I said, when I have to go get my clothes off of her floor, (laughs) I don't feel quite as honored. And so we were just laughing and talking about it. And she was like, I know what you're, I know what you mean. We're struggling with entitlement too. And I looked at her funny because her children were like four, two and one. And I said, how in the world are you struggling? Tell me, you know, encourage me with your stories. And so she said that, uh, she, her oldest was four and she had two, um, boys that were one and two. And then her daughter was the oldest. And she said, you know, everywhere we went, all three kids went and, um, the boys were really just at that age where they were into all the sister's stuff and, um, destroying the things that she made. And, uh, she was just, you know, 
her brothers were becoming pesky brothers. And so she said, I just really felt like I needed to take my daughter out for some one-on-one time, like a really special mother-daughter time together. And she said, I, you know, I, my husband took off work and I had planned this really special day. And so I went to tell my daughter this and I explained to her, um, honey, mommy is going to take you on a special date, just you and me. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ice skating. We live in South Texas, so ice skating is always. <laughs> a hit here. And, um, she said, we're, I'm going to take you ice skating and we're going to spend the day together and we're going to get hot chocolate. And the first words out of her four-year-old's mouth was, is that all? <laughs> oh, <laughs> is that all? And she said, it was like a knife to her heart. <laughs> she was like, honey, you know, that's the wrong question to ask. And she tried to turn it into an opportunity to show her daughter, let's be grateful for what mm-hmm. I planned. But it really just hit a chord with me. I was like, that's it. I mean, that is at a very early age, we give our kids so much that when, you know, we we take time to do something special for them, instead of saying thank you, they say, is that all? And it's not, you know, it's, it's indicative of our entire culture. And so I've seen it in my house and, um, and my friend had seen it in hers. And so... Really, it's addressing that mentality that everything we have is a gift and how can we, you know, really choose gratitude for what we have instead of for what, you know, we want or what others have. Mm, Yes, very well said, Kristen. Do you have, like, what would you say to a mom or a dad who is seeing entitlement in their children, whatever age, and I'm sure it looks different with each stage, how do you shift that perspective and how do you as a family make this a goal for all of you? Yeah, I think, um, it's, it's so hard, you know, there, sometimes I wish there was just an easy button that really (laughs) we could push. Um, but there's not. And I, I do have to say, I told my husband, I feel like I need to also, when people purchase this book, I need to give them like a warning, (laughs) like there needs to be a warning label, like caution, um, if you do what this book says, it is going to get a lot harder before it gets easier. Um, because you know, we're retraining our kids and we're telling them what everyone else is doing and getting and seeing that that's not necessarily what's right for our family. And it's Mm -hmm. tough. I mean, we have had, um, you know, it's just been a really rocky journey, but it's worth it. And I think, I would really encourage families. I feel like gratitude starts with the letter P. Um, That's something I try to tell my kids all the time because perspective is one of the biggest things we can give our kids. And I think it's our um, responsibility to add perspective to our kids' lives. Kids don't always know how to look at things differently. They don't know or have the insight to, um, to add perspective to their daily lives. And so that's our job. And I think that we can do that in so many different ways. Um, I know that kids in our, in our lives and in our homes compare themselves to those that they see. That's normal. And, um, you know, I have a million different stories, you know, how I've struggled with just comparing myself with those around me. And it filters down to our kids. They're comparing themselves to their peers. That's part of growing up. And that's fine. 
And I tell my kids, I mean, it's just, it's hard not to do that. But here's where we can offer them, you know, an opportunity to see things differently. I tell my children, yes, so-and-so has this. That's nice. That would be nice to have. But if you're going to compare yourself to someone who has more than you do, you also have to compare yourself with someone who has less because that's the right way to step back and look at the whole picture where we find ourselves in the middle and not at one end. We have so much to be grateful for. And when we can show our kids somebody with less than us, we don't even have to say anything. That's where gratitude, that seed of gratitude is really, um, it sprouts and it begins to grow. Um, an example of that, my older two kids are teenagers and, um, this past summer, uh, like I said, we have this nonprofit, so we get to travel some and we go to Africa, um, more than, more than probably the normal family. And, um, we had a busy summer and towards the end of the summer, um, our youth group was doing a local missions trip and we hadn't really planned to do it because we had been so busy. And my teenagers at dinner one night, they were like, you know, we know we haven't budgeted this and we know that we really don't have it on the calendar, but can we please, please, please go on this mission trip? And my husband, I, you know, I immediately was like, no, we, you know, we don't have the money for that. And, um, it was a local trip right here in Texas. So it wasn't that expensive, but I'm like, we've already done a lot this summer. My husband's like giving me the big waving arms, like, wait, <laughs> let's talk about this. And he pulled me aside and he was like, honey, our children, our teenagers are asking to go on a mission trip where they're going to sleep in a sleeping bag on a concrete floor <laughs> and help rebuild a house of someone who is very poor. He was like, I think that's what our savings account is for. And I was like, okay, thank you for that um, wisdom. And so we sent our kids on that trip. And every day my teenage daughter texted me. She was like, mom, did you know there are people in our own state that don't have floors? She was like, I never knew that I should be thankful for a floor. She was like, right now I'm standing in someone's house and I can see dirt through the broken, rotten wood. And it was just perspective. I never had to say, you should be grateful for your floors. She saw someone who had less than she had. And it stirred up gratitude in her heart. And she wanted me to know that she was thankful for our house, which is probably something she had never said before. I'm thankful that we have a house that isn't falling apart. And so if we can somehow shake up our kids bubble and show them how other people live. And there are so many ways to do that. We don't have to run a nonprofit and travel overseas. We don't have to go on mission trips. We can um, rake leaves for an elderly neighbor who can't do it for themselves. We can take meals to friends. We can prepare bags for homeless people and keep them in our car. And when we see someone, we can hand them a bag of toiletry items. I mean, there are so many different ways that we can just, you know, safely show our kids this isn't how everyone lives. Mm -hmm. Well, you said you have two teenagers. Yes. Um, I would say that's probably the age range that I'm most nervous about as a parent. <laughs> um, what, what would you say to encourage parents of older kids or even teenagers who feel like maybe their, their kids have been entitled or are showing entitlement already and they feel like it's too, it might be too late to turn the ship. Yeah. I, I think, um, I love having teenagers. 
that my I love it because they're hilarious and <laughs> they're a little, you know, irreverent to the point of um, not being terrible, but like their sense of humor and and they just are sarcastic and fun and you know you can talk and let them express themselves and we kind of have a rule in our house you can say anything you want as long as it's respectful anything you know I want it to be open tell us what you're struggling with always an open line of communication um but it's also challenging I'm not gonna lie it's hard because they're really vying for freedom and they want control and so it's that constant struggle back and forth um but I think I would tell parents you know of this age group, it's never too late. You know, it's never too late. I was talking to some volunteers at our warehouse the other day and it was our little Monday group of volunteers are, are older ladies and um, they were sitting at a table and one of the ladies is literally in her, I, I, she's probably in her eighties, you know, she's very elderly and she comes every week. And uh, she was telling us that um, her, her Bible study is full of whiteheaded old ladies just like herself and the number one prayer request of these women is their children <laughs> and their children are 60 and 70 years old or 50 and 60 years old and they are still praying over their kids and they're still you know that's still their calling as a mom and and as a parent and and it just reminded me that this is not a sprint it's a marathon and as long as we have breath and as long as you know God allows us. We're parenting our kids and, and it's not too late. And I would just want to encourage parents to um, really just create a safe place for your kids. Um, the world is really hard, especially on our teenagers, especially if they're trying to live upstream. I mean, the number one thing any doctor probably would tell you about your teen is they want to fit in. I mean, that's the age they just want to fit in. They don't want to stand out. And I know in my home, we are asking our kids not to fit in by the way we're living. And so I want them to have a safe place at home, just a place full of grace where they can, we can talk about how hard this is and we can laugh and, you know, this is the place that we're training them. This isn't the place of perfection. This is the place we're trying to get it right. And so I think grace and, and also just stepping back and realizing that um, yeah, we want our kids to be grateful. We want them to be less entitled. Um, and if you go through this book, I mean, there's so much that it's overwhelming that we can do. Um, but I think sometimes we have to just step back and see it. Not who our kids are becoming, but who they are today and just be really grateful for who they are today. And, um, you know, I just this week I was thinking about that, just really feeling convicted that I'm always trying to, um, you know, help my kids become. They're all, you know, I'm always pushing them and encouraging them to become. But sometimes I just need to step back and acknowledge how far they've come. Mm -hmm. And teenagers need that. They need to hear us say, I'm proud of you. Um, I love you. I believe in you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh... I think it was a blog post a couple of days ago that you wrote about when you kind of sent all your kids to their yeah. rooms and one of them came back and gave you a hug and said, we're sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm looking forward to moments like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Kristen, yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
they, they'll come. They, they will, <laughs> and you just hold on to those. It's like we've been, our whole family signed up to do a, a race. And so we've been kind of training separately and we're really not runners. So it's kind of laughable, but um, we're raising money for a cause. And so um, the other night we all ran together. It was the first time all five of us ran together. And like for a mom, <laughs> and I don't know, I didn't know, I don't know if it meant as much to my husband, but like you take these mental snapshots of, you know, because it, as your kids get older, that time together is just a little less um, common. You know, I mean, I struggle and fight to have dinner five nights a week with my family because the pull to be other places is really strong as they get older. And so those moments come and I, I find myself really appreciating them more um, than I ever have. Yes. And um, Kristen, before we wrap up, would you mind telling us a little bit about Mercy House? Because I know that that is the nonprofit that you've alluded to a couple times. And I know it doesn't just involve you and your husband, but also your kids. Yes, yes. So in 2010, um, I had been blogging for a few years, just writing really, you know, about just stories. And there wasn't a whole lot of um, intention behind it. Um, and I was, but it was growing and I had found kind of a niche and I was invited by Compassion International to, um, go to Kenya to blog about poverty in the slum. And that really, it turned my life upside down and changed, changed me in so many ways. Um, and a result of that trip and really what we had experienced and the people that I met in 2010, we started Mercy House which is a, a nonprofit that really seeks to empower um, women in poverty and oppression. And uh, we work to disciple them and we do it all in Jesus name. And um, we have two maternity homes in Nairobi, Kenya, where we rescue um, very young girls who have become pregnant from survival prostitution and, and trauma. And um, we also have a monthly subscription club, which is, called Fair Trade Friday, where we empower and employ um, women all around the world and, and around 20 countries. Um, so that's become our, really our full-time job, both of my, my husband and I, and um, it's a family ministry. We are, um, we always try to include our kids and we're very careful um, to make sure everything we do is centered really comes from a family focus and it's an opportunity for families. So we have a warehouse in our town and there's always moms and kids in our warehouse volunteering homeschool groups and dads who are firemen who have Tuesdays off come with their kids. And so it's just a great place to come and serve. And, you know, we really feel like every family is called to fulfill a certain mission. You know, every family is different and unique and made up of a lot of um, really normal humans and um, we struggle and we have our ups and downs, but we have a purpose. And so we really want to encourage families to find that purpose. And a lot of them find it at Mercy House and some of them find it, you know, that's just a springboard or a catalyst for them. But, you know, I think that if we can look at our lives and even, you know, sometimes we think we're, our kids are too young or, but really what we're doing now with them when they're two and three years old, it's determining 
our steps for the future. I mean, we had no idea six years ago or eight years ago that we would be doing what we're doing now. But I think when we really offer our steps to God and walk in obedience, we have no idea where that will take us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I think, so. I think probably both Adam and I have seen that in our own lives and our own families. And even though I'm not a parent yet, I can see that in my parents and in my siblings and I work with high school students. And so giving them a sense of purpose and mission in what they do and seeing that those who have that within their family, that really transforms a lot of who they are. And it just does make them see the world in a different way. Um, So Kristen, we're about up for a time, but if our listeners wanted to read more of your work or find out more about Mercy House, how can they do that? Well, you can go to mercyhousekenya.org and that'll take you to all of our different projects and initiatives. Um, I actually have a book, a memoir called Rhinestone Jesus that um, Tyndale published uh, in 2014. And it's really the behind the scenes story of kind of how our family came to start Mercy House. So it's a lot of our humanity, I think is in that book. Um, And yeah, you can find my blog at wearethatfamily.com. And I think that probably would lead you to, to some of the things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Great. thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us. Um, I hope that everyone goes out and buys 20 copies of your book to give to all their friends and parents. Yes. And for <laughs> our listeners, once again, it's called Raising Grateful Kids in an Entire World by Kristen Welch. Kristen, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a blessed weekend. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye.